Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, I am so excited to welcome our speaker today. Daniel Grothy is a friend from New Life Colorado. He is uh, the Associate Senior Pastor at uh, New Life Colorado, um, an amazing church of several thousand out there. I had the privilege of going and being with them for an extended amount of time a few years ago. And we found out that he's currently, as part of his uh, doctorate, you're, you're kind of touring through the UK. And we snagged him and said, at any point, was he anywhere near Guildford? And he was like, I'm in Oxford. And that's like, that's fine. That's close enough. We'll grab you from there and bring you over. But um, he's the author of a couple of books, both of which are amazing. This is the most recent one, The Power of Place, Choosing Stability in a root, Rootless Age. It's a stunning book. Is it anyone's birthday this week? Yeah, yeah, okay. There we go. It's an amazing, amazing book. But I was thinking about how to introduce Daniel, and I thought the best way would be um, Hannah, my wife, was writing her dissertation for her master's, and she was looking at gentleness in Christian leadership. And part of that, she had to uh, interview a few Christian leaders and ask them about their thoughts about power, about Christian leadership. And she had a couple of hours on Zoom with Daniel Grothy, she came downstairs, and I just said, how did it go? Like, what did he say? Was it good? And she thought for a minute, took a breath in, and just said, when I grow up, I want to be just like Daniel Grothy. And so I think there's no better way to welcome you, Daniel. Thank you so much for, in the busy schedule, choosing to come up here and share with us. Emmaus Road, what an honor to be here. Please forgive my trash accent. <laughs> I, you Brits, I just have you come over to the United States and read me the phone book. Just, I just, it just sounds holy and beautiful and learned and intellectual phone book reading. Uh, so thank you. Do you call it a phone book here? Is that what you call it? Okay. Nappy? Is it nappy a diaper? Is that what I've understood? Okay. All this stuff. If I say something that's embarrassing, please forgive me. I don't know, okay? But to be here today is such a delight. I've known Pete and Sammy for coming up close to 22 years now. And I was a high schooler, teenager, when I met Pete in Tulsa, Oklahoma all those years ago. And he's been one of my dear friends and someone that I call at important moments to get to know Adam and Hannah and Peter and Andrea through the years and Mike and so many, uh, some of my favorite people on the planet are here, Isway and, and his family, James and Julia Thomas who are circumnavigating the globe in a boat and I, I just, I love you. I've told my wife, if I didn't live in Colorado Springs, I think I would live here. Um, so that's how much I think about you. So thank you for having me today. As Adam said, we're going to talk about the power of place. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the first page in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. And I'll read to you out of Genesis 1, four or five verses, and then we'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord today from Genesis 1, 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may... 
Now, I want you to flag how physical and creational this language is. God said, go rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Again, creational language here. And subdue it and rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then the Lord God took the man and he put him where? Is it on the screen? It's not on the screen. He put him in the garden of Eden to rule over it and to take care of it. Let's pray. Lord, we have heard from so many people this week. We've watched the news. We've heard about inflation. We've heard about the, the economy. We've heard about wars and rumors of wars and Russia and Ukraine and the gas prices. And we, it, there's just so much going on. And we've heard all the noise. And today I'm asking for just a minute. Could we hear from you? Would you silence the noise? Would you silence the anxiety? Would you silence the chaos? Would you stand up in the back of the boat today and say, peace be still? And may we leave saying, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So we say, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts, Lord, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Speak to us, your servants are listening. We pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. In the year 500, the church came back to itself. In the first few hundred years, they were sorting out heresies and doctrinal crises, and they were fighting back and forth in councils, and okay, what does it mean to say Jesus Christ is Lord, and is Jesus fully God? And they were wrestling all that through, and kind of the dust began to settle in about 500 A.D., and a man arose in Italy who started calling the church to take its vows again. Now, I, I grew up as a, a pastor's kid. I'm 40. I turned 40 this week while here in England, and, and at 40 years I've been in the church. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, Saturday, band rehearsals, Thursday night, choir, all the stuff. I, I'm a church kid, and I knew that the ancient saints would have taken vows of chastity with their sexuality, that you are not your own, your body was bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus, therefore honor God with your body. I would have known that the saints of old would have taken the vow of chastity to be clean, to be pure, to, to honor the Lord with your body. I knew that the saints of old would have taken the vow of charity, that your resources are not just yours, that God blesses you, Genesis 12. God blesses you to be a blessing. The Abrahamic and Saronic uh, blessing is on us. Uh, he wants to bless the nations through us. So open your hearts and open your pocketbooks and open your homes. Feed people, bless people, pay people's mortgage if they're on the brink. Help, right? The vow of charity with your money. I knew that they would have taken the vow of obedience to Scripture, that the Bible is our book. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And how can a young person keep their way pure by hiding the word of God? Like the Bible is our book. But what I did not know until about 10 years ago was that the very first vow that the ancient saints of old were called to take 
The very first one, before the vow of chastity and the vow of charity and the vow of obedience to Scripture, is the vow of stability in place. Find your place, find your people, and try to die there. Put down roots. Don't bounce around the globe. Don't live on, like, be faithful in place. The very first vow was the vow of stability. Now, what is the purpose of the vow of stability? I want to say three things today. Why does God invite us into the vow of stability? The first thing that I want you to see through the vow of stability is that through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. Everyone say a gift. You can talk to me today, all right? I'm, I'm from a Pentecostal charismatic church. You know, you be, hey, you better shout at me or something. God wants to give us a gift, right? And notice you, you, you turn to Genesis chapter 2, and the very first gift that God gives humankind is the gift of place. Adam and Eve, I love you. Here's the garden. I've made you in my image. You're the superintendents. Go be creative. What do you want to call the animals? Isn't it interesting that God doesn't give Adam an encyclopedia of all the names? He says, all right, I've made you in my image, which means if I'm the creator, then you're creative. Go create. Build this place. Make it beautiful. Make it like Isway's backyard. He turned this thing into this beautiful garden, and he was building stuff. And he, he saw it, and he had the idea, and he put his hand to it, and boom, it pops with life. This is what God put in us, is the gift of creativity. And God, the very first gift that God gives humankind is the gift of place. Here is your home. Notice that the very first curse, you turn the page, Genesis chapter 3, the very first curse in all of Scripture, and all of human existence, is the curse of placelessness. Driven out of the garden, sin enters the story, we take the story into our own hands, chaos and confusion and death enters in, and, and, and Cain rises up and strikes his brother down, Abel, and kills him and buries him in the field, and, and they're driven out of their place, the First gift is the gift of place. The first curse is placelessness. Through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. But what, is the, what does the gift of place end up doing in us? I'll click down a layer and say three things about what place does. The first thing is place gives us security. Long before Abraham Maslow in 1943 drafted his triangular hierarchy of needs, Sages and theologians and philosophers all through the ages have been saying that a gift of stable place is, is really essential in the great quest of becoming a human. Think about your children at night, tucking them in, laying your hands on their head in their little bed or in their little crib, and you say, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. And, be, and, and they go, I'm safe. They may not articulate that, but to become a, a, a wholesome human being, you need that gift of security in place. And God gives us the gift of place first to secure us, to let us know, I'm with you. It's going to be okay. Here's your little garden of Eden. Go work it and take care of it and enjoy. Place gives us security. The second thing is place gives us identity. One of my best friends, he's a construction guy, he builds beautiful homes, and he has a little son who's best friends with my little son. And from the time this little boy was three years old, he'd wake up and put on his tool belt. <laughs> How y'all doing? You know, uh, he's got a, 
hammer on one side and a tape measure on the other, and he's walking into my house telling me, hey, Mr. Grothy, that thing's broken. I said, shut up. <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to do all that stuff, and this boy is three years old, and he's walking around fixing, you know, door handles and leveling, you know, art on the wall, and he's just got an eye. He can do things. Like, an identity grew up in him because of where he grew up. I am a builder. I can do things in the world. I'm like, that didn't come to my little boy. <laughs> a different kind of identity came to my little boy. He can do other things. But like where we grow up, we begin to form this identity. And God gives us the security of a place and it clicks down a layer. And we begin to understand who we are. I'm a pastor's kid, like I said. And I grew up in a church. And I had all these aunties and uncles in the faith extended. You know, they weren't biological bloodline, but they were my people. And they could encourage me and they could spank my butt. <laughs> And, and, you know, and they, and they would bless me and they would speak life over me. And, I be, and they would say, man of God, God has anointed you to be a prophet to the nations. I'm three years old knowing that I'm a prophet to the nations before I know what a prophet to the nations is. But I had the security of that place. But this identity started to form in me that this is who you are. The gift of place, God wants to give us an identity. This is my daughter whom I love. This is my son whom I love, but it, it clicks down another layer, security, identity, and it clicks down a layer to mastery. In a place, you begin to practice your craft. You get a chance to, to rebuild the world, to name the animals, to go for it. And, and as, a, as a young kid growing up in this church, my parents were the worship leaders and associate pastors and the senior pastor one Sunday I was 10 years old sitting on the front row, and he said, Daniel, man of God, why don't you come up here? Why don't you give the people an encouragement? I, we didn't talk about this. You only come to that church unprepared one time. <laughs> he called me up and gave me the microphone. I'm 10 years old standing in front of a couple thousand people at our church, and I had to give a little two-minute sermonette, and I fumbled my way through, and afterwards he said, Great job, Daniel. You did this and you did this. Can I give you one little piece of advice? What if you tweak this? I think that would work next time. I was like, thank you. A couple months later, he called me up. Daniel, and I came and I had my notes. I go, I couldn't possibly. Well, open your Bibles. <laughs> Hear ye the word of the Lord. <laughs> Security, identity, mastery. And our children, if they're going to rise, if they're going to launch into the world, they need to have some skills. They need to be able to know who they are and to be able to do some things so that their phone rings, right? And, and in, a, in the security and the gift of place that God wants to give us, he wants to bless us with safety, security, and identity, and mastery. Through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. Amen? Second thing, through the vow of stability, God wants to make us Holy. Everyone say holy. I am a great Christian by myself. You put me in the prayer closet. You give me a Bible. I'm a man of God. And I love the presence of God. And I, oh, just thank you, Lord. It's all these people that threaten my holiness. <laughs> people driving too slow on the, what do you call them, motorways here or highways or interstates or whatever. Like, Oh, you know, and my children messing the house up and not doing what I've told them to do. It's I, I'm a great Christian by myself, but it's all these 
people. Hey, yes, sir. My God. <laughs> you from Tulsa? And, and do you know that the fruit of the Spirit does not develop in isolation? We have these rough edges that God wants to sand off of us. And you know how he does it? He sends people to you. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What is love for? It's for someone else. <laughs> Joy. Hey, let's laugh. Let's have fun. I'm sorry. I, I didn't spit on you, but I almost did. <laughs> Joy. Like, we, we're la the fruit of the Spirit is for us to enjoy God's presence. Peace. I'm sorry, please forgive me. You make peace with someone. Patience. For who? For all those difficult people. <laughs> Kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. God wants to make you holy through the people in the place that he has given you. And if you will stay put, if you'll, if you'll let God do that work, it'll work. But what we need to see is that there's a couple cultural trends at play that keep us moving. We need to know the world that we're living in. We need to be able to interrogate and identify our own moment and say, what are the threats to our stability in place? The first threat that I want to put in front of you today is that we live in an age of wanderlust. Have you ever noticed, like, people get paid really good money to tell us stories that make us dissatisfied with our story so that we go buy a new story? This is what a large part of the marketing machine is. And, and if you're in marketing, that's great. I'm not saying all of it, but I'm saying if you open up social media, the thing is meant to make you feel less. All those other people and they're doing beautiful things and they're traveling the world and they're all skinny and gorgeous and their skin is just peeled back and they're suntanned and they're always in Greece eating sushi, you know? And it's just beautiful. I mean, jet setting and homes everywhere and LeBron James and they've got hair like Isway and, and bald guys like me just go, gosh, I wish I could have that, you know? Like the, the world is trying to get us to be dissatisfied with our own lives so that we keep chasing other storylines and spending our way into it. We live in an age of wanderlust where we think if we could just have a little more, if we could just go there, if I could just get this next job, if I could just get this next house, if I could just get a little raise, if I could just take an extra trip with my family, if I could just get my kids in a better school, if I... And you get it, and you're not happier. Jim Carrey, anyone? Actor? He's he, making $25 million a film. And after years and years of this jet setting all over the globe, he had a mental breakdown and he about lost it. He almost took his life. Thankfully, he made it through and he, he got some care and he started to grow. And he said on the backside of his mental breakdown, he said, I wish all of you could be rich and famous and do everything you ever dreamed of so that you can know it's not the answer. <laughs> we live in an age of wanderlust that keeps us bouncing and keeps us finding a new gym, a new church, a new group of friends, a new thing, a new, and we look up after a couple decades and we're deeply lonely. First thing, age of wanderlust. The second thing is we have become pathologically conflict avoidant. My grandparents, if they had beef with somebody, do you say that over here, beef with somebody, frustration with someone, a fight, if they're bothered by somebody, 
They would say, hey, meet me at the diner on Monday morning at 7.30 and let's talk. And they'd sit down. My grandpa would say, hey, we agreed on that price. On the, he was a farmer. We agreed on that price on the sale of hay. And, and you, you're moving the price on me. We shook hands. My word is my bond. Is your word your bond? Like, I want to be your friend for the next 50 years. And the way you're acting right now isn't going to make that possible. So get your mind right. Quit that. And he'd go, you're right, Dan Wilson. I'm sorry. Here's my handshake. My word is my bond. And they'd hug it out. One of them would buy the breakfast. And they would go on. And they'd show up at 86 years old with 50-year friends. Now, we cancel people. <laughs> we ghost people, we unfollow people, we block people, we, and we don't have face-to-face -face conversations about it. We become keyboard warriors. We go on Facebook and light them up with sarcastic political memes, tearing the other side down, or these people, these stupid people out there. And instead of meeting at the diner and having the conversation and repenting and, and saying the hard thing, we... We just run and we avoid. We become pathologically conflict avoidant. And if you want to receive the gift of place, and if you want to become holy, you're going to have to, as Jesus says, go to them and talk to them and repent and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I was wrong. Or, or even if you don't think you're wrong, I just want to be at peace. I want to be your friend. I want, to, I want to come to your funeral in 50 years and cry. Or if I go first, I want you to come to mine and cry. So what do we need to do so that can happen? When we live this way, I just want to say that you got to remember that people are the great purifiers. If you want to become holy, God will send people your way to make you holy. Through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. Through the vow of stability, God wants to make us holy. I was at this monastery I go to once a year for a two-day kind of prayer reset, a retreat. And on the wall, it says this at the monastery, we vow, these are monks that have chosen to take the vow of stability and be in that place till they die. We vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, we pray together, we work together, we relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself. <laughs> Wherever you go, there you are. And the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when, not if, and when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, and forgiving. Our world has forgotten how to do this, and it's the church's job to teach them again. It's the church's job to practice it first, and the world is confounded, and they go, who are these people? They just, they, they vote different. They're in different socioeconomic backgrounds, and all the, it doesn't, they're not just like one monochromatic kind of person they're they're every tribe tongue nation and people group and they gather at this theater every week and they're different they love each other they bless each other the church will be a great provocation to the world as we vow stability in place and so today i want you to remember if you want to become holy people are the great purifiers the third thing that i want you to see and i'll close with this 
First thing is through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. Second thing is through the vow of stability, God wants to make us holy. But the third and final thing I want you to see is that through the vow of stability, God will use us to refamily the world. Can you say refamily? God will use us to refamily the world. My dad was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and at five years old, it was very common. He was the only child. His parents were great individuals. Both of them served in World War II. She was in Washington, D.C., sending messages back and forth from the front line and decoding things, and, and he was in Berlin on the day that Berlin was liberated. Grandpa Grothy, my guy I come from. Great people, but they didn't know how to be married, and they fought, and they fought. And I'm not talking about verbal abuse. That, too, I'm talking about they fought. My dad would be at the dinner table as a five-year-old, the only child, and all of a sudden the dinner table gets turned over, and they're jumping on each other, pounding each other into a bloody pulp. And my dad's five, jumping on top, trying to rip them off each other, screaming, can't we just work this out? What is wrong? His dad slept in his own bedroom. His mom slept in her own bedroom. And my dad, five years old, had his own little bed. And he would sob, cry himself to sleep every night. And he said, I would look at the ceiling and say, God, all I want is a happy family one day. He'd never been to church, but he knew in his being that this is not right. So one day he's nine years old and he wakes up and he decides to walk to a church a couple miles away. By himself. His parents didn't ever go, but they didn't keep him from going. So nine years old, he walks into the back of a church, second in Sheridan in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the worship leader, the Peter Burton, you know, he's got his guitar on, and he sees this little nine-year-old boy walk in, and he looks by himself, and he stops the rehearsal, and, and he says, young man, come here. Who, who are you with? And my dad walks down to the front. He goes, I'm, I'm here by myself. Oh, we are so glad you're here. I'm Vep. Hey, I'm Vep Ellis. This is my wife, LaVon. We sit right here every single week. Come up here for rehearsal. We're about to be done with rehearsal. And then you can sit with us, and then we'll drive you home after church. We got really poor when we lost that America. Would to God that we would recover that amongst us as the people of God, that way of being. I'll take care of you. You can trust me. So this little nine-year-old boy goes, okay. And he showed up Sunday, and they drove him home, and then he joined the kids' choir, and they drove him to practices, and then they took him home, and he just got refamilied. He would go home fighting brutality, anger, isolationism, locking each other in rooms, just but he had this family. Every week he saw them, and he started going on Wednesday nights, and he started going to youth camps, and he just got refamilied. At 15, his dad, he was an oil worker drilling wells in, in Oklahoma, and his dad called home one night. He said, I'll be home late. You and your mom have dinner. Tell her I'm not, I'm not going to be there. Okay, Dad, love you. A couple hours later, he goes to the front door, and there's a police officer there and a chaplain with a Bible. And they said, is this the Grothy house? And he said, yes. He said, can we come in? Would you please sit down? Tonight, your dad, and ma'am, your husband, was killed in an oil explosion. All nine men died. My dad collapses on the couch at 15. He lost the most important man in his life. 
You know who came over? Vep and Levon Ellis from the church who found him as a little nine-year-old boy by himself. And they sat on the couch and they sobbed with him. And we, we are so sorry, David. And we will be with you. And we will walk with you in whatever you need. If you need us to pay for anything, we've got you. We will not leave you alone. We're sorry. 19, my dad was sophomore in college. And his mom called and said, could you take me to the hospital? He drives across town, picks her up, drives her to the hospital. They do tests and they say, ma'am, you have a stage four brain tumor. You're going to die like any day. He goes home with his mom and they start getting her affairs in order. And sure enough, in weeks, she's gone. He's a 19-year-old orphan. So much pain on the home front. You know who came over? Vep and Levon Ellis and Frank Reeder and all these people from Sheridan Christian Assembly. They walked in. They sat on the couch. They sobbed with him. They said, we will walk with you. We will take care of you. If you need us to help pay for your college, you just tell us. Like, we will not leave you alone. They helped him sort out the estate and sell the home and sell the cars. 19-year-olds don't know how to do this. But people in the body of Christ do. And my dad was refamilied as a nine-year-old boy into the body of Christ. And at 15, he needed them. And at 19, he needed them. And at 22, when he stood and married my mom, you know who officiated their wedding? Vepelis. And you know who my dad is still playing golf with at 80 years old? Vepelis. My dad is 66. And Vep is 80. And they're best of friends. And they've been traveling together now for 56 years. And I'm telling you, friends, the world is lonely. People are walking the streets, and they may know how to pay their bills, but they're lonely. And friends, I'll tell you, in the 21st century Western world, the lie has come to us that if you can pay your bills, you're rich. No, you aren't. If you have family, if you have people that will walk with you and pray with you and bleed with you and lift you up in your worst hours, if you have people who will help you raise your children, you are rich. If you have people who will come to the hospital when you're an old person and enter, uh, usher you into your rest and stand at your bedside and read, the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not be in want until you close your eyes and see Jesus face to face. That's what makes us rich is life in the body of Christ. And I was talking to Eugene Peterson, who translated the Message Bible toward the end of his life. He was 85. And I said, Eugene, what is the church? He pastored for 30 years, and I've been in the church now 20 years. And what is the church? And he said, Daniel, the church is a colony of heaven in the country of death. And if you don't see death all around you, you're not watching. The world, the world does not know what to do. The world has lost its mind. The enemy is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy and devour wherever he can find someone to devour. But the church is this little pocket of sanity, this little pocket of holiness, this little pocket of people who are defined not by biological bloodline, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, where we have been refamilied, and we are the agents that go and refamily the lost and the weary and the broken and the hurting world. Can you say amen today, church? So here's what I'm calling you to today. I'm calling you to sign back up.
it's time. COVID, it was, it was maddening and scary and, and chaotic and all, all of the uncertainty. But you know, the enemy at some point, if he will, he can lock us into this crazy loop of shutting down where we just begin to circle the wagons and self-protectionism. And if I'm okay and I, you know, the gas prices and, and I don't know about the, the value of the pound and the whatever, like the world is crazy. I've got to protect myself. Actually, the people of the kingdom of God say the world is crazy. Let's go hit the streets. Let's open our hearts. Let's open our homes. This is a great time to find people. This is a great time to be the body of Christ. This is a great time to function as a colony of heaven in a country of death. And so today I'm inviting you with the most joyful invitation I could give you is to be a part of the body of Christ. Tithe, serve, bless children here, be faithful here, show up. Live your life, put down roots, find your people, find your place, and try to die here. Practice the vow of stability, and as you do, you will receive the gift. You will receive the security and the identity and the mastery. You will also be made holy. You will become like Jesus as you stay faithful to this community of saints and let God do his work, and God will use you to refamily the world. Would you open your hands and close your eyes. And this is just a way of saying, Lord, we want this. We long for this. We ache for this. Lord, right here in the middle of Guildford, England, we say, come Holy Spirit. Do it again in our day. In a world that could easily fall asleep at the wheel, we say, wake us up. In a world that could get really comfortable, we say, Lord, stretch us and push us and invite us into the life of your kingdom. In a world that gets self-protectionistic, help us to throw open our doors, throw open our lives, throw open our hearts, throw open our pocketbooks to live a different way. Lord, I pray that you would use Emmaus Road to refamily this world. I pray at their workplaces tomorrow morning as they go back out into this community, Lord, I pray that you would give them eyes to see the weary and the wounded and the hurting and the lonely. And I pray that you would give them words of encouragement that would bring life to these people. Lord, I pray that people walking the streets here on Sundays would stumble in and go, what in the world is this? Like my little dad did. I pray that this place would collect little boys like David Grothy and raise them up to be men of God, little girls and raise them up to be women of God. I pray that this place would be a safe place for the elderly to come and to be dignified until they find their rest. I pray that this place would be a place where you set the lonely into family. So Lord, we say open up the windows of heaven and pour that out on Emmaus Road. I pray, Lord, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lord, smile big on this family of God and grant them peace today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, Emmaus Road, I love you so much. Thanks for having me today. Amazing. Thank you so much, Daniel. Stunning, stunning word. There's so many ways we could respond to that, but I'm aware we've gone past 12 already. And so what I'm going to do is close the meeting here, but just struck by how much Daniel was saying about the need to just keep our relationships holy. 
you know, that's part of it. And so why don't you take this moment as we close right now, is there someone here that you need to talk to? Is there a relationship where if you're honest, you've been holding on to something in here and God's calling us to be more than just people that gather together and sit on seats on a Sunday. He's forming us into a family and a family that's called to change the world. And so is there someone that maybe you need to speak to? Thank you so much, Isway, for coming up just to play this little bit for me to close this out. It's beautiful. I feel like I'm walking on a cloud. So as we, as Isway serenades us from this place, would you go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks so much.